Hey there, folks. Happy Thursday to all of you. This is uh, Welcome Back to Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. As always, I am your author and host, uh, Stephen Craig. So glad that you could join us this week. Um, this week in Truth in a Thousand Words or Less, a little peeling back of the curtain uh, for just a moment. Uh, there are weeks in which um, you know I will uh, pen a column for Truth in a Thousand Words or Less, and uh, and put it away and uh, and let it sit and marinate for a little bit. Oftentimes, because uh, there will be potentially something more topical uh, that I want to publish at the time, and um, and so I'll I'll, I'll uh, an article that isn't necessarily inherently timely. Um, I'll hold it off for a little bit. Uh, and and save it for a later date. Um, to be honest, oftentimes when I'm struggling to come up with anything else other than write. Um, and such is the case this week. Uh, this week's column I wrote uh, a couple months back, and it was uh, having to deal with immigration. And it's interesting. Uh, I've wanted to publish it for a while because I, I like the piece quite a bit. Um, it's entitled, um, They Are Not the Problem. And by they, of course, I, I mean... Um, the folks uh, that uh, immigrate into this country, and um, but when um, you know when I went to go publish it this week, of course, here we are in the middle of a of a border crisis, and uh, I had a friend of mine when um, when I talked to them about publishing this piece, saying, "Are you going to update it? Are you going to rewrite it?" And I read it through really carefully, and in the end, I, I was like, "No." No, I think, to be perfectly honest, a lot of my opinions about it stay the same. I do uh, recognize that uh, part of the dynamic has shifted in the sense that, um, you know, with the, in recent days, um, there has been a surge at the southern border uh, coming up from not just Mexico, but from a variety of um, different Central, um, Central American and even South American countries. And... Um, but, you know, a lot of that is predicated upon this notion that there is, in fact, um, the global, the, the way that we all globally interact with each other. I was watching a piece not long ago in, on, um, on CBS, in which they were talking about the number of refugees coming up from Guatemala. And that it, um, a, a big part of the recent surge has to do with global warming. And when I was talking to my dad about it, he's like, "What? What the hell does global warming have to do with uh, have to do with people coming from Guatemala?" Well, as it turns out, obviously, with global warming, um, a lot of farmers whose livelihoods, their ability to feed their own families, uh, depends on their ability to grow crops, and their crops, because of the ravages of drought um, that have um, that have been prolonged over the last couple of years, um, they simply can't grow. Um, they simply can't grow in the way that they have been historically. And so um, confronted with the inability to feed their family, what are they going to do? What would you do if it were your family? And of course, we all know what the answer to that is. You'd go and find a way to make sure that you can feed your kids. And um, and this is the case, whether it be, um, whether it be folks coming from Mexico, um, fleeing drug cartels, or whether it be um, folks struggling to make a living from other places in the world, we're beginning to see that the, the way that, the policies that we have in the United States um, dramatically impact 
the amount of people that come here that we the world doesn't no country in this in this planet of ours anymore exists in a vacuum but rather the influence that we have and if um if our economic policies whether that be the fact that we here in the united states um we are large contributors to pollution. I know we're not China or India, but we are a large part of the global warming problem. And so if that, if our economic policies, policies then have an environmental impact, which in turn has global um, economic impacts for other nations, uh, we have to start to think about the immigration problem in a larger context. Um, if there is widespread poverty and, and drug cartels in Mexico, we have to ask ourselves why. Where, where are the, right? Like, uh, when it comes to the drug trade, it's a supply and demand, right? They're, the only reason that there's a, the drug cartels are creating supply is because we're creating the demand. They're not selling drugs to, <laughs> they're not dr selling drugs south of them. They're selling drugs north of them. Um, and then these drug cartels um, obviously uh, impinge upon the safety and well-being of many of the people who live in places like Mexico. And so we have to start taking, instead of simply sitting there and, and um, shutting our borders and saying, get the hell out and all of this, we have to look at some of the ways that our own, um, our own policies, our own economy, um, the way that we affect the larger global economy and thus create the drive for people to come here. And, um, and so when I looked back over the piece, I, I, I too, having seen um, the kids coming over the border, am deeply concerned about uh, what that means, um, first and foremost, for those folks who are coming over, but also for the folks, the people, the citizens of this country. And um, what it means for us economically. Um, but I think if we just see immigration within the context of that short term, the short term issues that we're, um, that we're being confronted with right now, that we miss the long term solutions, that we need to commit ourselves to a more widespread understanding of immigration and then turn around and set policies that uh, that reflect that longer term understanding. That's the only way that we're going to combat this. And we can sit there and um, we can sit there and rail against the immigration policies of Trump, or we can rail against the immigration policies of Biden. Um, but in the end, there are far larger um, issues and events in place uh, that we need to ask questions about. So with that in mind, folks, I give you this week's truth in a thousand words or less. They are not the problem. I am horrible at fixing things. I don't mean that as a metaphor. I mean that I am genuinely terrible at any sort of home improvement or repair. My friends can vouch for me on this one. This past Father's Day, my ex-wife abetted my children in the purchase of a keychain that read, Dad can fix it. <laughs> My ex loves ironic humor. This partly explains why I'm so grateful to live in a community with an HOA that hires a landscaping company to do much of the work outside our home. In addition to maintaining the sprinklers throughout the year, each fall they send out someone to winterize the entire system and help keep my dumbass from bursting the pipes, which I would surely do if left to my own devices. 
Almost always Hispanic, these folks are unbelievably hardworking, polite, and friendly, always greeting me with a wave and a smile as I drive by, even though they are the ones who are actually doing the manual labor. The other day, I got a knock on the door and opened it to find one of them, Javier, standing at my door. In blowing out the sprinklers, he had noticed a wiring issue that could have become problematic down the road if water continued to get into it. He explained the issue to me, but it did not take him too long to come to the conclusion that I had nary a clue what he was talking about. He gave me the number of a couple of handymen and told me that I should have them look at it as soon as possible. But it was much to my surprise when he stopped back a couple days later with a replacement part in hand and offered to fix it himself, free of charge, on his own time. And that's when I thought to myself, and these people are supposed to be the problem? How is it, after all, that Hispanic immigrants have become the bane of our existence? These folks do nothing but work their asses off doing the jobs no white Americans want to do, all while being entirely devoted to their faith and family. And yet somehow we get folks chanting to build a wall to keep them out like somehow they are the anathema that represents a scourge upon our nation. Somewhere in there lies a cognitive dissonance that is having a deleterious impact on our ability to live up to our purported status as a nation of immigrants. The first cognitive dissonance operates from the notion that somehow immigrants are entitlement takers, here to soak up a bunch of free stuff they haven't earned. This, of course, is often ironically spouted by white people watching Fox News in their pajamas on a Thursday afternoon. The reality, however, is that immigrant populations work more than their native counterparts. In 2018, the labor force participation rate of foreign-born adults was 65.7%, higher than the 62.3% rate for the native-born, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Some 27.2 million foreign-born adults, 63.4% of all foreign-born adults, were employed that year, compared to 59.8% of native-born adults. The next cry of the xenophobic, of course, is to suggest that they are stealing our jobs. But let's face it there, Jimmy Joe. If you're losing out on a job to an unfortunate Mexican with no papers, doesn't that really say something more about you? No, these people aren't stealing our jobs. They're filling them. And we should be damn grateful that they do because no one else is. As for wages, take-home pay may have grown at a paltry rate since the 2008 financial crisis, but economic studies of the effect of immigrants on wages shows an incredibly modest negative effect on low-wage workers in the short run only. Actually, the impacted low-wage workers are often recent immigrants, not native-born American workers. The fact is that the corporate elites who want to derail any regulation for an increase to the minimum wage so that they can continue to pay American workers shoddy wages use immigrants as an easy and convenient scapegoat upon which to displace the real source of blame for the ire of the American workers themselves. Sometimes you'll hear the racist rejoinder that these immigrants bring more crime and violence with them. This was, of course, echoed in a 2016 speech by Trump, who suggested... When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending the best. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with them. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. The problem is that this simply isn't true. 
According to research from the Cato Institute based on Census Bureau data, illegal immigrants are 47% less likely to be incarcerated than natives, and legal immigrants are even less likely to commit crimes than that. Have you ever seen Hispanic folks out and about when they are not busy mowing your lawn, cleaning your kitchen, or cooking your food? More often than not, I see Hispanic folks hanging out with their families, having a picnic, and playing games in the local park. And so again I ask, these people are the problem? No, the reality is, of course, that they are not the problem. They are not, as some suggest, a drain on the federal budget, soaking up entitlements and resources like Medicare and Social Security, because more often than not, they are not afforded any of these entitlements in the first place. In fact, Moody's Analytics estimated that for every 1% increase in U.S. population made of immigrants, GDP rises 1.15%. Our economy is better off bringing in Mexican immigrants. But that's a bummer because research shows that net migration from Mexico has been at zero for years now. Yes, I obviously know that uh, in recent weeks uh, and months that, that has, uh, there has been a... Um, certainly a far more, um, far greater wave of folks coming to the border. But as a general whole, over the past decade, that statistic holds true. That's right. The illegal immigrants in the United States today should all come together and take their ball and go home. And then see how long it takes America to get on its knees and beg them to come back. And then they should demand better wages and citizenship. Folks, as always, I'd like to say thank you to all of you for uh, tuning in to the podcast version of Truth in a Thousand Words or Less, um, whether it's through here or whether you go to our web, my website, www.waitingfortoday.com, uh, read it there, or uh, find us on Medium or anywhere else that you get podcasts. I'd just like to say a huge thank you for supporting uh, this endeavor. Um, please go ahead and uh, spread it out there as much as possible. Spread that love. And we'll be back once again next week with another episode of Truth in a Thousand Words of Us. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.